Section 5 of Stories by English Authors, London, by Various. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Rose of the Ghetto, by Israel Zangwill. One day it occurred to Libel that he ought to get married. He went to Sugarman, the Shadchan, forthwith. "'I have the very thing for you,' said the great marriage-broker. "'Is she pretty?' asked Libel. "'Her father has a boot and shoe warehouse,' replied Sugarman, enthusiastically. "'Then there ought to be a dowry with her,' said Libel, eagerly. "'Certainly a dowry. A fine man like you. "'How much do you think it will be?' "'Of course it is not a large warehouse.' "'But then you could get your boots at trade price, "'and your wife's, perhaps, for the cost of the leather. "'When could I see her?' "'I will arrange for you to call next Sabbath afternoon. "'You won't charge me more than a sovereign?' "'Not a groschen more. "'Such a pious maiden. "'I'm sure you will be happy. "'She has so much way of the country.' "'Meaning breeding.' "'And, of course, five per cent on the dowry?' "'Hm, well, I don't mind. "'Perhaps they won't give a dowry,' he thought, "'with a consolatory sense of outwitting the Shadchan. "'On the Saturday, Libel went to see the damsel, "'and on the Sunday he went to see Sugarman the Shadchan. "'But your maiden squints,' he cried resentfully. "'An excellent thing,' said Sugarman. "'A wife who squints can never look her husband straight in the face and overwhelm him. "'Who would quail before a woman with a squint?' "'I could endure the squint,' went on Libel, dubiously. "'But she also stammers. "'Well, what is better in the event of a quarrel? "'The difficulty she has in talking will keep her far more silent than most wives.' "'You had best secure her while you have the chance.' "'But she halts on the left leg,' cried Libel, exasperated. "'Gott in Himmel! Do you mean to say you do not see what an advantage it is "'to have a wife unable to accompany you in all your goings?' "'Libel lost patience. "'Why, the girl is a hunchback!' he protested furiously. "'My dear Libel,' said the marriage-broker, deprecatingly shrugging his shoulders and spreading out his palms, "'you can't expect perfection.' Nevertheless, Libel persisted in his unreasonable attitude. He accused Sugarman of wasting his time, of making a fool of him. "'A fool of you?' echoed Shadchan indignantly. "'When I give you a chance of a boot-and-shoe manufacturer's daughter?' "'You will make a fool of yourself if you refuse. "'I dare say her dowry would be enough to set you up as a master tailor. "'At present you are compelled to slave away as a cutter. "'For thirty shillings a week it is most unjust. "'If you only had a few machines you would be able to employ your own cutters. "'And they can be got so cheap nowadays.' This gave Libel pause, and he departed without having definitely broken the negotiations. His whole week was befogged by doubt. His work became uncertain. His chalk marks lacked their usual decision. And he did not always cut his coat according to his cloth. His aberrations became so marked that pretty Rose Green, the sweater's eldest daughter, who managed a machine in the same room, 
divined with all a woman's intuition that he was in love what is the matter she said in rallying yiddish when they were taking their lunch of bread and cheese and ginger beer amid the clatter of machines whose serfs had not yet knocked off work they are proposing me a match he answered sullenly a match ejaculated rose thou she had worked by his side for years and familiarity bred the second person singular libel nodded his head and put a mouthful of dutch cheese into it with whom asked rose somehow he felt ashamed he gurgled the answer into the stone ginger-beer bottle which he put to his thirsty lips with leah volkovitch leah volkovitch gasped rose leah the boot and shoe manufacturer's daughter libel hung his head he scarce knew why he did not dare to meet her gaze his droop said yes there was a long pause and why dost thou not have her said rose it was more than an inquiry there was contempt in it and perhaps even pique libel did not reply the embarrassing silence reigned again and reigned long rose broke it at last is it that thou likest me better she asked libel seemed to see a ball of lightning in the air it burst and he felt the electric current strike the shock threw his head up with a jerk so that his eyes gazed into a face whose beauty and tenderness were revealed to him for the first time the face of his old acquaintance had vanished this was a cajoling coquettish smiling face suggesting undreamed of things no yes he replied without perceptible pause no good she rejoined as quickly and in the ecstasy of that moment of mutual understanding libel forgot to wonder why he had never thought of rose before afterward he remembered that she had always been his social superior the situation seemed too dreamlike for explanation to the room just yet libel lovingly passed a bottle of ginger-beer and rose took a sip with a beautiful air of plighting troth understood only of those two when libel quaffed the remnant it intoxicated him the relics of the bread and cheese were the ambrosia to his nectar they did not dare kiss the suddenness of it all left them bashful and the smack of lips would have been like a cannon peal announcing their engagement there was a subtler sweetness in this sense of a secret apart from the fact that neither cared to break the news to the master tailor a stern little old man libel's chalk marks continued indecisive that afternoon which shows how correctly rose had connected them with love before he left that night rose said to him art thou sure thou wouldst not rather have leah volkovitch not for all the boots and shoes in the world replied libel vehemently and i protested rose would rather go without my own than without thee the landing outside the workshop was so badly lighted that their lips came together in the darkness nay nay thou must not yet said rose thou art still courting leah volkovitch for aught thou knowest sugarman the shadchan may have entangled thee beyond redemption 
not so asserted libel i have only seen the maiden once yes but sugarman has seen her father several times persisted rose for so misshapen a maiden his commission would be large thou must go to sugarman to-night and tell him that thou canst not find it in thy heart to go on with the match kiss me and i will go pleaded libel go and i will kiss thee said rose resolutely and when shall we tell thy father he asked pressing her hand as the next best thing to her lips as soon as thou art free from leah but will he consent he will not be glad said rose frankly but after mother's death peace be upon her the rule passed from her hands into mine ah that is well said libel he was a superficial thinker libel found sugarman at supper the great shadchan offered him a chair but nothing else hospitality was associated in his mind with special occasions only and involved lemonade and stuffed monkeys he was very put out almost to the point of indigestion to hear of libel's final determination and plied him with reproachful inquiries you don't mean to say that you give up a boot and shoe manufacturer merely because his daughter has round shoulders he exclaimed incredulously it is more than round shoulders it is a hump cried libel and suppose see how much better off you will be when you get your own machines we do not refuse to let camels carry our burdens because they have humps ah but a wife is not a camel said libel with a sage air and a cutter is not a master tailor retorted sugarman enough enough cried libel i tell you i would not have her if she were a machine warehouse there sticks something behind persisted sugarman unconvinced libel shook his head only her hump he said with a flash of humour moses mendelssohn had a hump expostulated sugarman reproachfully yes but he was a heretic rejoined libel who was not without reading and then he was a man a man with two humps could find a wife for each but a woman with a hump cannot expect a husband in addition guard your tongue from evil quoth the shadchan angrily if everybody were to talk like you leah volkovitch would never be married at all libel shrugged his shoulders and reminded him that hunchbacked girls who stammered and squinted and halted on left legs were not usually led under the canopy nonsense stuff cried sugarman angrily that is because they do not come to me leah volkovitch has come to you said libel but she shall not come to me and he rose anxious to escape instantly sugarman gave a sigh of resignation be it so then i shall have to look out for another that's all no i don't want any replied libel quickly sugarman stopped eating you don't want any he cried but you came to me for one i-i-i know stammered libel but i've-i've altered my mind one needs hillel's patience to deal with you cried sugarman but i shall charge you all the same for my trouble 
you cannot cancel an order like this in the middle no no you can play fast and loose with lea volkovitch but you shall not make a fool of me but if i don't want one said libel sullenly sugarman gazed at him with a cunning look of suspicion didn't i say there was something sticking behind libel felt guilty but whom have you got in your eye he inquired desperately perhaps you may have someone in yours naively answered sugarman libel gave a hypocritic long-drawn um i wonder if rose green where i worked he said and stopped i fear not said sugarman she is on my list her father gave her to me some months ago but he is hard to please even the maiden herself is not easy being pretty perhaps she has waited for someone suggested libel sugarman's keen ear caught the note of complacent triumph you have been asking her yourself he exclaimed in horror-stricken accents and if i have said libel defiantly you have cheated me and so has eliphaz green i always knew he was tricky you have both defrauded me i did not mean to said libel mildly you did mean to you had no business to take the matter out of my hands what right had you to propose to rose green i did not cried libel excitedly then you asked her father no i have not asked her father yet then how do you know she will have you i i know stammered libel feeling himself somehow a liar as well as a thief his brain was in a whirl he could not remember how the thing had come about certainly he had not proposed nor could he say that she had you know she will never have you repeated sugarman reflectively and does she know yes in fact he blurted out we arranged it together ah you both know and does her father know not yet ah then i must get his consent said sugarman decisively i i thought of speaking to him myself yourself echoed sugarman in horror are you unsound in the head why that would be worse than the mistake you have already made what mistake asked libel firing up the mistake of asking the maiden herself when you quarrel with her after your marriage she will always throw it in your teeth that you wished to marry her moreover if you tell a maiden you love her her father will think you ought to marry her as she stands still what is done is done and he sighed regretfully and what more do i want i love her you piece of clay cried sugarman contemptuously love will not turn machines much less buy them you must have a dowry her father has a big stocking he can well afford it libel's eyes lit up there was really no reason why he should not have bread and cheese with his kisses now if you went to her father pursued the shadchan the odds are that he would not even give you his daughter to say nothing of the dowry after all it is a cheek of you to aspire so high as you told me from the first you haven't saved a penny even my commission you won't be able to pay till you get the dowry but if i go 
I do not despair of getting a substantial sum, to say nothing of the daughter. Yes, I think you had better go, said Libel, eagerly. But if I do this thing for you, I shall want a pound more, rejoined Sugarman. A pound more, echoed Libel, in dismay. Why? Because Rose Green's hump is of gold, replied Sugarman, oracularly. Also, she is fair to see and many men desire her. But you have always your five per cent on the dowry. It will be less than Volkovich's, explained Sugarman. You see, Green has other and less beautiful daughters. Yes, but then it settles itself more easily. Say, five shillings? Eliphaz Green is a hard man, said the Shadchan instead. Ten shillings is the most I will give. Twelve and sixpence is the least I will take.' Eliphaz Green haggles so terribly. They split the difference, and so eleven and threepence represented the predominance of Eliphaz Green's stinginess over Volkovich's. The very next day Sugarman invaded the Green workroom. Rose bent over her seams, her heart fluttering. Libel had duly apprised her of the roundabout manner in which she would have to be won, and she had acquiesced in the comedy. At the least, it would save her the trouble of father-taming. Sugarman's entry was brusque and breathless. He was overwhelmed with joyous emotion. His blue bandana trailed agitatedly from his coat-tail. "'At last!' he cried, addressing the little white-haired master-tailor. "'I have the very man for you.' "'Yes,' grunted Eliphaz, unimpressed. The monosyllable was packed with emotion. It said, Have you really the face to come to me again with an ideal man? He has all the qualities that you desire, began the Shadchan, in a tone that repudiated the implications of the monosyllable. He is young, strong, God-fearing. Has he any money? grumpily interrupted Eliphaz. "'He will have money,' replied Sugarman, unhesitatingly, "'when he marries.' "'Ah!' the father's voice relaxed, and his foot lay limp on the treadle. He worked one of his machines himself, and paid himself the wages, so as to enjoy the profit. "'How much will he have?' "'I think he will have fifty pounds, and the least you can do is to let him have fifty pounds,' replied Sugarman, with the same happy ambiguity." Eliphaz shook his head on principle. "'Yes, you will,' said Sugarman, "'when you learn how fine a man he is.' The flush of confusion and trepidation already on Libel's countenance became a rosy glow of modesty, for he could not help overhearing what was being said, owing to the lull of the master tailor's machine. "'Tell me, then,' rejoined Eliphaz, "'tell me first if you will give fifty to a young—' healthy, hard-working, God-fearing man, whose idea it is to start as a master tailor on his own accord, and you know how profitable that is. To a man like that, said Eliphaz, in a burst of enthusiasm, I would give as much as twenty-seven pounds ten. Sugarman groaned inwardly, but Libel's heart leapt with joy, to get four months' wages at a stroke. With twenty-seven pounds ten, he could certainly procure several machines, especially on the installment system. 
Out of the corners of his eyes he shot a glance at Rose, who was beyond earshot. "'Unless you can promise thirty, it is a waste of time mentioning his name,' said Sugarman. "'Well, well, who is he?' Sugarman bent down, lowering his voice into the father's ear. "'What? Libel? cried Eliphaz, outraged. "'Shh!' said Sugarman or he will overhear your delight and ask more. He has his nose high enough as it is. But, 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 sputtered the bewildered parent, I know Libel myself. I see him every day. I don't want a Shadchan to find me a man I know, a mere hand in my own workshop. Your talk has neither face nor figure, answered Sugarman sternly. It is just the people one sees every day that one knows least. I warrant that if I had not put it into your head, you would never have dreamt of Libel as a son-in-law. Come now, confess. Eliphaz grunted vaguely, and the Shadchan went on triumphantly. I thought as much. And yet, where could you find a better man to keep your daughter? He ought to be content with her alone, grumbled her father. Sugarman saw the signs of weakening and dashed in full strength. "'It's a question of whether he will have her at all. "'I have not been to him about her yet. "'I waited your approval of the idea.' "'Libel admired the verbal accuracy of these statements, "'which he had just caught. "'But I didn't know he would be having money,' murmured Eliphaz. "'Of course you didn't know. "'That's what the Shadchan is for, "'to point out the things that are under your nose. "'But where will he be getting this money from?' "'From you,' said Sugarman, frankly. "'From me? From whom else? Are you not his employer? It has been put by for his marriage day. He has saved it?' "'He has not spent it,' said Sugarman, impatiently. "'But do you mean to say he has saved fifty pounds?' "'If he could manage to save fifty pounds out of your wages, he would be indeed a treasure,' said Sugarman. "'Perhaps it might be thirty. "'But you said fifty. "'Well, you came down to thirty, retorted the Shadchan. "'You cannot expect him to have more than your daughter brings.' "'I never said thirty, Eliphaz reminded him. Twenty-seven ten was my last bid.' "'Very well. That will do as a basis for negotiations,' said Sugarman resignedly. "'I will call upon him this evening. "'If I were to go over and speak to him now, he would perceive you were anxious.' and raise his terms, and that will never do. Of course you will not mind allowing me a pound more for finding you so economical a son-in-law? Not a penny more. You need not fear, said Sugarman resentfully. It is not likely I shall be able to persuade him to take so economical a father-in-law, so you will be none the worse for promising. Be it so, said Eliphaz, with a gesture of weariness, and he started his machine again. Twenty-seven pounds ten, remember, said Sugarman, above the whir. Eliphaz nodded his head, whirring his wheelwork louder. And paid before the wedding, mind. The machine took no notice. Before the wedding, mind, repeated Sugarman, before we go under the canopy. Go now, go now, grunted Eliphaz, with a gesture of impatience. It shall all be well. And the white-haired head 
bowed immovably over its work. In the evening, Rose extracted from her father the motive of Sugarman's visit, and confessed that the idea was to her liking. "'But dost thou think he will have me, little father?' she asked, with cajoling eyes. "'Anyone would have my Rose.' "'Ah, but Libel is different. So many years he has sat at my side and said nothing. He has had his work to think of. He is a good, saving youth.' At this very moment Sugarman is trying to persuade him, not so. I suppose he will want much money. Be easy, my child. And he passed his discolored hand over her hair. Sugarman turned up the next day and reported that Libel was unobtainable under thirty pounds. And Eliphaz, weary of the contest, called over Libel, till that moment carefully absorbed in his scientific chalk marks, and mentioned the thing to him for the first time. "'I am not a man to bargain,' Eliphaz said, and so he gave the young man his tawny hand, and a bottle of rum sprang from somewhere, and work was suspended for five minutes, and the hands all drank amid surprise. Sugarman's visits had prepared them to congratulate Rose, but Libel was a shock. The formal engagement was marked by even greater junketing, and at last the marriage day came. Libel was resplendent in a diagonal frock coat cut by his own hand, and Rose stepped from the cab a medley of flowers, fairness, and white silk, and behind her came two bridesmaids, her sisters, a trio that glorified the spectator-strewn pavement outside the synagogue. Eliphaz looked almost tall in his shiny high hat and frilled shirt-front. Sugarman arrived on foot, carrying red-socked little Ebenezer tucked under his arm. Libel and Rose were not the only couple to be disposed of, for it was the thirty-third day of the Omer, a day fruitful in marriages. But at last their turn came. They did not, however, come in their turn, and their special friends among the audience wondered why they had lost their precedence. After several later marriages had taken place, a whisper began to circulate. The rumor of a hitch gained ground steadily, and the sensation was proportionate, and, indeed, the rose was not to be picked without a touch of the thorn. Gradually the facts leaked out, and a buzz of talk and comment ran through the waiting synagogue, Eliphaz had not paid up. At first he declared he would put down the money immediately after the ceremony, but the wary sugarman, schooled by experience, demanded its instant delivery on behalf of his other client. Hard-pressed, Eliphaz produced ten sovereigns from his trousers' pocket and tendered them on account. These sugarman disdainfully refused, and the negotiations were suspended. The bridegroom's party was encamped in one room, the bride's in another, and after a painful delay Eliphaz sent an emissary to say that half the amount should be forthcoming, the extra five pounds in a bright new Bank of England note. Libel, instructed and encouraged by Sugarman, stood firm. And then arose a hubbub of voices, a chaos of suggestions. Friends rushed to and fro between the camps, some emerging from their seats in the synagogue to add to the confusion. But Eliphaz had taken his stand upon a rock. 
he had no more ready money. Tomorrow, the next day, he would have some. And Libel, pale and dogged, clutched tighter at those machines that were slipping away momentarily from him. He had not yet seen his bride that morning, and so her face was shadowy compared with the tangibility of those machines. Most of the other maidens were married women by now, and the situation was growing desperate. From the female camp came terrible rumors of bridesmaids in hysterics, and a bride that tore her wreath in a passion of shame and humiliation. Eliphaz sent word that he would give an I.O.U. for the balance, but that he really could not muster any more current coin. Sugarman instructed the ambassador to suggest that Eliphaz should raise the money among his friends. And the short spring day slipped away. In vain the minister, apprised of the block, lengthened out the formulae for the other pairs, and blessed them with more reposeful unction. It was impossible to stave off the libel green item indefinitely, and at last Rose remained the only orange-wreathed spinster in the synagogue. And then there was a hush of solemn suspense that swelled gradually into a steady rumble of babbling tongues, as minute succeeded minute, and the final bridal party still failed to appear. The latest bulletin pictured the bride as in a dead faint. The afternoon was waning fast. The minister left his post near the canopy under which so many lives had been united, and came to add his white tie to the forces for compromise. But he fared no better than the others. Incensed at the obstinacy of the antagonists, he declared he would close the synagogue. He gave the couple ten minutes to marry in or quit. Then chaos came, and pandemonium a frantic babble of suggestion and exhortation from the crowd. When five minutes had passed, a legatee from Eliphaz announced that his side had scraped together twenty pounds, and that this was their final bid. Libel wavered. The long day's combat had told upon him. The reports of the bride's distress had weakened him. Even Sugarman had lost his cocksureness of victory. A few minutes more, and both commissions might slip through his fingers. Once the parties left the synagogue, it would not be easy to drive them there another day. But he cheered on his man still. One could always surrender at the tenth minute. At the eighth, the buzz of tongues faltered suddenly, to be transposed into a new key, so to speak. Through the gesticulating assembly swept that murmur of expectation which crowds know when the procession is coming at last. By some mysterious magnetism all were aware that the bride herself, the poor hysteric bride, had left the paternal camp, was coming in person to plead with her mercenary lover. And as the glory of her and the flowers and the white draperies loomed upon Libel's vision, his heart melted in worship, and he knew his citadel would crumble in ruins at her first glance, at her first touch. Was it fair fighting? As his troubled vision cleared, and as she came nigh unto him, he saw, to his amazement, that she was speckless and composed. No trace of tears dimmed the fairness of her face. There was no disarray in her bridal wreath. 
the clock showed the ninth minute she put her hand appealingly on his arm while a heavenly light came into her face the expression of a joan of arc animating her country do not give in libel she said do not have me do not let them persuade thee by my life thou must not go home so at the eleventh minute the vanquished eliphaz produced the balance and they all lived happily ever afterward end of section five